Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. And now, would you say a quick prayer with me before I start to preach? Let's pray together, please. O Lord, may the meditations of all our hearts and these words be a blessing to you to help us know you better and love one another better. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the 24th of October. Uh, It's the day we're recording worship, possibly not the day you're participating in it. And it's a special day for lots of reasons, one being, I guess, the pastor's appreciation time but also that uh, it's fall, and we're beginning to dream, dare I say, about, or maybe have nightmares about too, the holidays that are just coming up. Also, this is month nine of our COVID safety restrictions, and still uh, we thought that we might be together, but we are for our own certain circumstances. St. Paul's worshiping online, We thought it would be a short time, Um, but also it is um, the elections coming up uh, in a week and a half, and not just any elections, but the presidential elections. Very significant time in our life. And so today I'm taking this opportunity for a mental and emotional check-in with God, with Scripture, and with yourself. It's good timing because we just finished a sermon series last week, and we're starting a new sermon series next week, so we're fitting this one right in there, and I think it's good timing for lots of reasons. So let me ask you, how are you feeling today? Go ahead and check in with yourself. See what comes to mind as you ask yourself, what emotions what just name them for yours not out loud just inside go ahead and name a few emotions feelings that are coming for you and take a deep breath it's a hard time right now the way i measure how i'm doing is i notice my level of reactivity when things happen like losing my keys On Thursday afternoons, our women's book group has been looking at Tish Warren's Liturgy of the Ordinary, and she writes a fabulous description of her losing her keys that I just have to share with you. This is what she writes. I have a plan for my morning. After getting myself and my kids ready, I'm going to run to the store and then head to my meeting all on time. I go by to grab my keys out of the dish that we just have for keys and... Cue the sound of screeching brakes. The keys aren't there. So I check my purse. No keys. I go and check the pockets of the jeans I wore yesterday. No keys. I check my bag again. Still no keys. I start to panic a little. I begin to go through the stages of searching for lost objects. Stage one is logic. I retrace my steps I look in all the places that you would normally look for keys. I'm calm. I'll find the keys. They'll turn up. Stage two, self-condemnation. I begin to berate myself just a little under my breath. What did I do with those keys? Where did I put them? 
Three, now I'm getting frustrated. I curse out loud. I switch back and forth between blaming myself and blaming others. Did my husband lose my keys? Maybe my kids were playing with them and lost them. Four, desperation. I start looking everywhere. I even check the freezer. I check the time. It's been nine minutes. Five, last ditch. I stop and I pray. I try to calm down. I tell myself, I'm being ridiculous. I ask God for restoration of the keys and a little perspective. Stage six, despair. After still not having found the keys, I plop on my couch. I will never find my keys. I will be stuck in my house forever. The whole day is completely ruined. Then I pull myself together. I'm a little ashamed. I go through the stages again, and I find the keys. They were under the couch. I have no idea how they got there, and I yelp out to no one in particular, found them! <sighs> Losing our keys. Just a hiccup in the morning, but also, it was the apocalypse. That writing sounded so familiar to me. Not just about losing keys, but so many things these days. Can I get an amen from anyone? Speaking of apocalypse, my brother on our Skype call last week shared with us about a friend of his who, in his words, got excited about the apocalypse and believed he had a message from God that the end was coming soon. And so he did quit his job. He didn't really tell anyone. He packed a few things, and he moved to a place he felt was safer. I think my brother said he moved to Bakersfield. I've heard murmurings here and there about apocalypse, end times, revelation. Have you? The word apocalypse in Greek means unveiling or uncovering. Hence the word revelation, to reveal. So I'm not surprised that I've heard these words with everything going on. In this time of not knowing, we're naturally yearning for unveiling, for uncovering, for knowing what the future will hold. No, not the future, but just tomorrow, please. As a book of the Bible, Revelation doesn't really give us much help in determining a start date for these end times that we're hearing about. I believe there are a few locations in the Bible which give us some pointers toward end times and how we're to think about it in terms of time, but I'll come back to that in a moment. First, a little more about Revelation, the book. I believe they're words of encouragement in difficult times. Uh, you might be surprised to hear that. Most people probably wouldn't think of Revelation as a book of encouraging words. But when I go to the hospital to make a visit to someone who's very sick, or, or should I say, when I used to go to the hospital, because now we don't do that, I would find myself more often than not reading to them out of Revelation, specifically chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. 
I'd like us to look and see what those words say, and I have someone very dear to me who's going to read the words for us. It's my daughter, Mara. But do grab a Bible and turn. It's very easy to find because it's the last book in the Bible. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Here's Mara reading those words for us now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See the home of God is among the mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, I, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Once again, See, the home of God is among mortals. <clears throat> he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Now, do you understand why those words are words that I share to people in the hospital? It's like going to the end of a book and looking to see if it's a good ending and seeing that it is, you go back and read from the beginning. Do you do that? I know a few people who do that. I use these words, I share these words, because I can honestly stand beside someone, a dear one, and share with them complete faith. I believe their end, if they choose, will be living forever with God in an amazing place regardless of what they're currently going through. I can't tell them they won't have any more pain. I can't tell them they'll definitely recover, but I can recite a truth that lives beyond tragedy and horrors that we experience in this world. I can tell them God will never leave them, never forsake them. These are the words I say out loud in moments like that and in moments like these. Just a few more things about this book, Revelation. It was written by John, as it says in chapter 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches in Asia. Scholars disagree about which John. Some think it was the disciple, the brother of James. Some think it was another John of the same age called the presbyter or elder in the church. But we learn in verse 4 that this John was writing specifically to seven churches in Asia, which is present-day Turkey. His letter was meant to be read to those churches at that time for a very concrete historical situation. The people in those seven young churches in the province of Asia were being persecuted by the Roman government. At that time, which was around 90 to 95 AD, the Roman authorities were just beginning to enforce worship of the emperor as God. So Domitian, the self-proclaimed Lord and God, was the ruthless dictator who reigned from 81 to 96 AD. 
At that time, the wicked seemed to be prospering and evil was winning while the Christians were under enormous pressure. The Greek word philipsis, pressure, affliction, tribulation, you've heard that word. This word is used repeatedly in Revelation, like in Revelation 2.10 where it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for ten days you will experience philipsis, crushing pressure, tribulation. So John was writing to these seven young churches to encourage them and to give them perspective to specifically resist the demands of emperor worship and to look to the one true God instead, no matter what they were going through. And John used a very normal, usual style of writing in those days. It was called apocalyptic literature. He used images to show God's perspective, symbols. I remember when Dr. Dr. Lyons Pardue of Point Loma Nazarene University, she came, well, it was online, but she taught us a few months ago a class on Revelation, and she said, The Spirit makes Scripture relevant to all generations. So be careful about interpreting Revelation according to our own current situation. She said doing that was promoting self-interest, and it was a self-serving task. John Wesley, one of the founders of our Methodist movement, wrote, in his commentary on this book, the revelation was not written without tears, neither without tears will it be understood. So, can we apply what we might read in Revelation to our own circumstances today and call this the end times? What do you think? I said earlier, I believe there are a few locations in the Bible which do give us pointers toward end times and how we're to th think about that in terms of timing. You know the books Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament are very similar. They're called synoptic gospels, books that are to be seen together. Sin means together, optic means see, and scholars believe seen together that's how we should see them. Mark, they think, was written first, you might know that, and that Matthew and Luke used Mark's writings to depict their own understanding of what Jesus said and did and how he, he saw, they saw that. I'm going to read part of Luke's version uh, of a phrase about the end times because there's one little part in it that was helpful to me. If you want to look with me, it's Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 9. Again, Luke 21, 5 through 9. This is what it says. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they asked him, the disciples, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. 
When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end will not immediately follow. There's so much more in Matthew, Mark, and Luke right after this about end times, and I encourage you to take time to look at it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it or anyone else's. Study it for yourself. But there's one more little passage in Mark, uh, his version of it, that I'm going to read just two verses. It's Mark 13, 32 and 33. And Mark says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. As I read this, one of the most interesting things is when the disciples ask Jesus to tell them when these things are going to happen, Jesus says, Beware that no one leads you astray, for many will come and say, The time is near, but do not go after them. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid. I guess Jesus could have said, I don't know when it's going to happen, which Mark explains he doesn't, only God knows. Instead, Jesus says in these verses and many other places afterwards, if you keep reading it, he says, beware, watch out, be on your guard, be alert, keep watch. It might seem like Jesus is calling us to watch out for signs of the end time so we can predict when it's going to happen. But as I think about it more, it seems more true that Jesus is saying, be on your guard and watch out so that you won't be deceived by others claiming they know the future and what's going to happen. Because no one knows. Only God. I wrote in the margins of my study Bible. I know some of you don't like writing in the Bible. That's okay. I wrote, for Jesus... The greatest danger is not that we might underread the signs of the end times, but that we might overread them. What do you think? The comedian Kate McKinnon, she recently did a character sketch about all of this. She pretended to be a medical expert and her uh, outfit looked a little like Albert Einstein. She had kind of a messy gray wig and a mustache, and she held this uh, professor's pipe, and she kind of clenched it in her teeth as she spoke, and she used kind of a, maybe a Swiss-German accent. And the name she gave this character was Dr. We Notice. Dr. We Notice. So an interviewer is talking with her and starts the sketch by saying, we know you are highly respected in your field, doctor. To which the doctor replies, We notice. The interviewer goes on to state a few more things, each time with the doctor replying, We notice. We notice. Then the interviewer makes a statement the doctor thinks questionable, and the doctor replies, This, this we do not know. And the interview, he's exasperated. He says, Doctor, we notice. I'm confused. Are you saying we know this? Or are you just saying your last name? And the doctor replies, Okay, we notice is Greek. 
In English, it means we know this. And then McKinnon starts laughing, and she breaks the fourth wall. She speaks to the audience, and she's laughing, and she reveals that in this crazy time, she had started making up this character as a way to escape. She said it was refreshing to play a character who notice. <laughs> when will the pandemic end? This, we don't notice. Who will win the election? We don't notice. What will happen to the world, she says. We do not notice. But the one thing we do know is, the one thing is, and then she says, nope, we don't notice. The interviewer ends the sketch. Kate McKinnon's kind of pretending to cry, and he says, I know this is very stressful. I know this is a hard time right now, Kate, and I know a lot of people are being very resilient. So don't worry. We're going to figure this out. We can do this. And Kate says, we can do what? And the interviewer says, we can do this. So I tell you, we don't know what's going to happen when. We don't know. But we know the end of the whole story. So we can keep reading. And we can keep going. Endure. We can do this by God's grace. Will you pray with me? Jesus, there's a part of us that wants to know. We want to be in control of so many things, and right now, that is so far beyond what's true that we don't know what's up and what's down. And sometimes, we kind of put things together trying to make things seem right for ourselves for the moment. So God, we ask your help in trusting you. Help Lord, come to you frequently through the day. Ask you, Jesus, for your presence and your help. Help us come to your word and read and study and talk to one another. Help us trust in you. Thank you for this day, for the little pleasures and the small moments that bring us joy. Oh God, help us share that joy with someone else today because someone else might be depending on that as a sign of you and your love in their lives. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you for revealing your love to us. We don't need anything more. In Jesus' name, amen.